Welcome back to Nightmare From Within podcast. I'm Lev. I'm Janine. And today we're going to be talking about Dorothea Puante. She was born January 9th in 1929 and she died March 27th, 2011 at 82 years old in a women's facility in California. You think you've heard of a bad landlord, then you haven't heard of our topic today. She's the head of Bad Landlords, inventor of the name Bad Landlords, Dorothea Helen Puante, born to Jesse James Gray and Shruti Mae Yates on January 9, 1929. Both parents were alcoholics. Father often repeated to kill himself in front of the children. Mother, who was a sex worker, who lost custody of her children in 1938. The year prior, 1937, Jesse James Gray died of tuberculosis. At the end of the same year where Trudy lost custody, she died in a motorcycle accident. Puante and her five siblings were sent to an orphanage where later on Dorothea was sexually abused. Married young at 16, Puante married her first husband, a soldier named Fred McFall, who just got back from World War II. The couple had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. One was sent to Sacramento to be with relatives and the other up for adoption. She also suffered a miscarriage. In spring of 1948, Gray was arrested for purchasing women's accessories using forged checks in Riverside. She pled guilty to two accounts of forgery, swearing four months, serving four months in jail and three years probation. Six months after being released, she left Riverside. In 1952, Gray married merchant seaman Axel Johnson in San Francisco. She created a fake persona a Muslim woman of Egypt and Israel descent. They had turbulent marriage. Gray took advantage of Johnson frequently trips and took frequent trips to sea by inviting men to their home and gambling. Away his money. Gray was arrested in 1960 for owning and operating a bookkeeping firm as a front for a brothel in Sacramento. She was found guilty and was sentenced to 90 days in the Sacramento County Jail. Gray was briefly committed to DeWitt State Hospital after binges of drinking, lying, and criminal behavior. She as well tried several attempts of suicide. While in care, the doctors diagnosed her as a pathological liar with unstable personality. Gray and Johnson divorced shortly five years later in 66. She continued to use his last name, even made a new identity with it, portraying as a devout Christian woman. Sharon Johnson is the name that newly established her reputation and hid her criminal ways. She was a caregiver to young, to young women, giving them housing from abuse and poverty with no cost. In 1968, Gray married Roberto Jose Puente. Just 16 months later, the two split ways because Gray claimed domestic abuse. Their divorce finalized in 1973. Gray, two years later, filed a restraining order against Johnson. She continued to use his surname, Puente, for more than 20 years. Following her divorce, Puente focused on a on running a boarding house located near 15th Street and F Street in Sacramento. She established as a genuine resource to the community to aid alcoholics, homeless people, and mentally ill people by holding AA meetings. 
She changed her public image to a, to a respectable older Martin by wearing old vintage granny glasses, clothing, and letting her gray hair grow. She grew to be a well-respected member of the Sacramento's Hispanic communities by holding charities and other community programs. She left and married Pedro Montov. He left the marriage a week later. In 1978, on December 21st, Poante was convicted of illegally stashing 34 state federal checks belonging to her tenants, given five years of probation in order to pay four grand in restitution. Poante had numerous numbers of victims. It starts on January 16, 1982, and Poante picked up 74-year-old Malcolm McKenzie from a bar and took him to his house. He later reported Puante had slipped his drink before robbing him of jewelry, watches, coins, and even his mother's ring, to which she removed while Mackenzie was passed out. April 28, 1982, Ruth Monroe arrived at Puante's house in good health two weeks before her death. Her body was found and was due to respiration depression caused by an OD of codeine. However, on April 25th, Monroe had told a friend, I feel like I'm going to die. Monroe's death was later convicted as a homicide. May 16th of 1982, Dorothy Osborne found checks, credit cards, and other important items missing after Puente visited her home. July, Puente was convicted of three grand theft charges and was sentenced to five years in prison. Until March 21st, 1986, her federal parole sentence was extended two years. September 9th, 1985, she was released only serving half a sentence, whereupon she was picked from a close friend who lived in 1426 F Street. In October 1985, Puente wrote to Gilmouth's sister informing that she and Gilmouth were to be married on November 2nd. A short time later, Puente hired a handyman named Ismael Carriasco Flores for remodeling and asked him to build a six by 30 inch by 30 inch storage box. She agreed to give him Gilmouth's truck and $800 as a payment. The day after he completed the box, he returned to find the box nailed shut. Puente asked Flores to help her take the box, which is now weighed approximately 300 pounds to a storage location, but ended up dumping the box near a river about an hour away from Sacramento. On December 28, 1998, it was determined that Gilmouth was previously unidentified body discovered by a fisherman alongside the Sacramento River. On January 1, 1986, Gilmouth's body was wrapped in numerous plastic bags and covered with a bed sheet held in place by electrical tape. Mothballs and blue toilet deodorizer were also found inside the box. It was later discovered that after Gilmouth's death, Puente mailed fake letters and cards to his sister in an attempt to make her believe that he was still alive. Puente was also found to have forged Gilmouth's signature on his truck certificate of title and continued cashing Gilmouth's benefit checks until July of 1986. In fall of 1986, Betty May Palmer, 78, arrived at Puente's boarding house. On October 14, 1986, 
Huanzi obtained a California ID card with her photo and Palmer's name. Two months later, the mailing address on Palmer's social security checks was changed to Puente's F Street address. Puente forged Palmer's signature and nearly cashed $7,000 worth of benefit checks belonging to Palmer. In November 1988, Palmer's partially dismembered body was discovered in a shallow hole in Puente's front yard. Her head, hands, and lower legs were never found. Toxicology reports revealed the presence of doxylimine and over-the-counter anesthesian, as well as florazepin, both of which were previously prescribed to Palmer. She was identified on January 24, 1989, through comparison to previous medical x-rays. On October 21, 1986, Puente summoned a notary to the hospital room of Leona Carpenter, who was 78, following an overdose. She was given power of attorney over Carpenter and began cashing her social security checks 10 days later. In December, after Carpenter was released from the hospital, she went to live with Puante. Once again, Carpenter returned to the hospital just a few weeks after she was discharged in February 1987. She disappeared. In November 1988, her body was found in the southeastern corner of Puante's yard. Toxicology reports of Carpenter's brain tissue revealed the presence of coedine, diazepine, and florazepine. In July of 1987, Eugene Gamow, 58, was found dead of an apparent suicide, having overdosed on amitriptyline and ethanol. Puente, who was Gamow's landlady, said that he had a history of suicide attempts. Though Puente was never charged with Gamow's murder, he was considered a possible victim. On October 2nd of 1987, Vera Faye Martin, 61, was sent to live with Puente. Starting October 5th of 1987, Puente forged a number of Martin's Social Security checks totaling over $7,000. On October 9th, 19th, Martin failed to contact her daughter on her birthday, which she had done each year. In November 1988, Martin's body was found buried under a metal shed in Puente's yard. Toxicology reports of her brain and liver revealed fluorescent On October 21, 1987, Dorothy Miller, 65, was placed in an upstairs flat in Puente's home. She introduced Miller to Ricardo the following November. Ricardo became the representative payee for Miller's social security benefits. Just weeks after her arrival, Miller had disappeared, and on November 20, 1987, Puente hired a carpet cleaner to remove a large pile of foul-smelling slime in Miller's room. Puente continued to forge Miller's checks, totaling over $11,000 after she was no longer at her house. Miller's remains were later discovered buried under a slab of concrete near some rose bushes. Tissue samples from Miller's brain relieved, relieved the presence of fluorazepine. On November 29, 1987, Brenda Trulio sent a letter to the Social Security Office in Sacramento accusing Puente of stealing her Social Security checks totaling $3,500. Trulio met Puante in the Sacramento County Jail in 1982 and two weeks later shared a prison cell. After her release, Trulio moved into Puante's boarding home where Puante helped her apply for social security benefits. Trulio became Puante, Trulio claimed that Puante drugged her and called her parole officer, causing her parole to be revoked before Trulio received the checks. In February, 1988, 
Alvaro Gonzalez Montoya, 51, arrived at Puente's home. In March, an application designating Puente as Matoya's benefits payee was filed. At the end of August, a roommate saw a man clearing Matoya's clothes out of the closet. He missed an appointment on August 29th and was last seen on August 24th. Puente told several people that Montoya went to Mexico to visit his relatives. Social workers continued to attempt to contact Montoya in September and October to no avail. In November, Puente asked Donald Anthony, a former convict who had been working in her yard, to contact the social worker, pretending to be Montoya's brother-in-law. He agreed and called, stating his name was Michael, that he had picked up Montoya from F Street and took him to Utah. The social worker was suspicious and told Puente that she was going to call the police. On November 10th, the social worker received a letter perpetrating from Michael, wrapped in a piece of paper towel to avoid fingerprints. Days later, Montoya's body was found buried adjacent to Carpenter. Toxicology testing revealed the presence of lexapine, florazepine, and carbamazine. Montoya had prescriptions for all of these drugs except for carbamazepine. On March 9th of 88, Benjamin Fink, 55, was sent to live with Puente. Fink's brother visited him on a weekly basis for six weeks. By the end of April, Fink was gone. Another tenant reported smelling a foul odor emanating from his room, but was told by Puente that it was a sewer backup. On April 29th, Puente received 12 bags of cement. That June, she had dug a hole up next to the door of the metal shed, which was later filled with, a, with concrete. In November, Fink's body was discovered in this area, wrapped in plastic knotted bedspread, secured with duct tape, and covered with blue absorbent pads. His toxicology report revealed the presence of amitriptyline, laxapin, flazuripin. Her arrests. She was arrested on November 7, 1988. Police spoke with John Sharp, a former resident, about the disappearance of Montaigne. Initially, Sharp told police that he had seen Montaigne two days later, earlier, but then slipped a note to the officer that said, she wants me to lie to you. He later met with an officer to tell his story. On November 11th of 88, a detective returned to Puente's residence and with her permission, began digging in areas that appeared to be recently disturbed 30 minutes later, he discovered the first body. Just hours after a body was discovered in her backyard, Puente slipped away from the police. On November 13th, an all points bulletin was issued for Puente. On November 16th, Charles Wilgis, along with Jean Silver of CBS, alerted police to Puente's whereabouts at a motel in Los Angeles. Wilgis met Puente who was using the Elias alias Donna Johansson the day before at a nearby bar. He later recalled seeing her on a CBS morning newscast and reached out to Jean Silver, who met with Wilgus at his apartment. The two contacted local law enforcement and Puente was arrested the same day. On November 17, 1988, Puente was flown from the Hollywood Burbank Airport to Sacramento, escorted by police and booked in the county jail. 
She was then formally charged with the murder of Montoya. On March 10, 1989, criminal charges against Flores were dismissed due to the statute of limitations expiring three years after Gilmouth's body was discovered. Flores was later granted immunity for his testimony against Puante. On March 31, 1989, an amended co complaint was filed charging Puante with nine counts of murder with special circumstance qualifying it as a death penalty case. According to investigators, most of her victims had been drugged until they OD'd. Puente then wrapped them in bed sheets, plastic lining, before dragging them to open pits in the backyard for burial. By May 24, 1990, the prosecutor rested his case, having called 71 witnesses and introducing 108 exhibits in the preliminary hearing. On June 19, 1990, a judge ruled that there was an ample circumstantial evidence to send Puente to trial on July 31, 1990. Puente pled not guilty. After numerous delays on October 19, 1992, a judge ruled that Puente would face all nine counts of murder and that all cases will be heard in Monterey County. On December 21, 1992, 12 jurors consisting of eight men, four women, were selected for Puente's trial. The following month, six alternate jurors, five women, one man, were selected to back up the 12 regular jurors. Puente's trial began on February 9th, 1993. By the conclusion of the trial, 156 witnesses testified more than 3,100 exhibits had been submitted and over 22,000 pages of transcripts were reported. After deliberating for 11 days on August 2nd, 1992, the jury told Judge Michael Viagra that there were deadlocked on all nine counts of murder and asked for no further instruction. The next day, Viagra told the jur jury to resume their efforts to effect the deadlock. On August 26, 1993, Puente was convicted of three counts of murder, Benjamin Fink, Leona Carpenter, and Dorothy Miller. The jury, after deliberating for 35 days, remained deadlocked on six cases. Ruth Monroe, Everson Theodore Gilmouth, Betty Mae Palmer, James Gallup, Vieira Faye Martin, and Alvaro Gonzalez Montoya. During the penalty phase of the trial, jurors found themselves deadlocked once again. On October 13, 1993, Puante was spared the death penalty. On December 10, 1993, she was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. She was incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility in California. On August 28, 1997, an appeal court in San Jose confirmed Puante's murder convictions but ordered an examination of juror misconduct allegations. After a three-day hearing on September 25, 1998, Judge William D. Curtis rejected each allegation of jury misconduct in Puente's trial. Puente died in prison at Chowachilla on March 27, 2011, from natural causes. She was 82. Puente had been featured on numerous true crime television shows, including Crime Stories, Deadly Women, A Stranger in My Home, World's Most Evil Killers, and Worst Roommate Ever. The 1991 film Evil Spirits, starring Karen Black and Art, Art Johnson, is loosely based on the Puente murders. In 1998, Puente began corresponding with Shane Bugby. The result was cooking with a serial killer, which included a 
lengthy interview, almost 50 recipes and various pieces of prison art sent to the Bugby, sent to Bugby by the convicted murderer. Jody Picklout mentions Puente's crimes in cookbook in her novel, House Rules. The boarding house at F1426 Street in Sacramento was included in the 2013 home tour held by the Sacramento Old City Association. It was then the subject of the 2015 document short, The House, the House is Innocent, and was again open to tours for one day in conjunction with a local film festival showing of the film. In 2015, the Ghost Adventures crew investigated the house due to reports of haunting by the victims and Puente herself. In April of 2020, the house and current owners were showcased in the Kuibibi series Murder House Flip. In June of 2020, the house was featured in a 10-minute documentary with 60 seconds about the purchase and renovation of the house by the current owners. A well-researched plan by Mark Lowestein entitled Dorothea, Dorothea Puente Tells All sold out to audiences at the California stage Wilkerson Theater, UC Davis, and in January 2023 at Sacramento Theater Company.